the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would, the opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Walter. Uh, Walter, I'm going to actually let you know at six o'clock. Okay. Okay. Can everyone hear me okay? Okay, very good. Uh, my name is Walter. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I thank God for my abstinence. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Tara, for asking me to share my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, it's been a long while. Uh, well, I've, I've recently been attending Light a Candle because of Zoom, but it used to be a mainstay for me, and I've probably been out of the room, out of, away from Light a Candle for whew, nine years. It's just, I don't know where the time has gone. Uh, I, I never left program. I just, uh, things changed in my work world and I'll get into that a bit. You know, Light a Candle has an interesting history. I was there when uh, Roy L. Uh, started it. I think he started in 08, 07, something like that. And there was a guy, Stan, who used to record the meetings on a reel-to-reel cassette player or something like that. And then they both had to go and the meeting kept going by, they got a little desktop recorder and they limped along like that for a month or so. And then John Kay came and had these recorders called wave recorders, I think he called them. So you could not only record the meeting, but he would put it up on the internet. And, and it's just amazing, you know, the good work that keeps going on with Light a Candle with all the bank of speakers and it's just really good stuff. And I'm very grateful Light a Candle was a big part of my recovery. So uh, what I was like, and uh, what happened when I'm like, no, what happened and what, uh, how, how I was, what happened, what I'm like now. So in terms of food, my first time of, of thinking anything bad about myself or food was sixth grade. There was a picture of me uh, and I was very heavy. Uh, but, and then seventh grade, I was just very active and, and just really, you know, uh, had no, no idea, thought or, of being, it was bad that I was heavy. Uh, the only upset I had probably had before before that picture was uh, a significant upset would be being left back in second grade. And that was traumatic uh, because from there I did start thinking I was stupid. And it was sort of like what would be the beginning of, of negative self-talk. So I'll get into that a little more. Um, and seventh, eighth, ninth grade, everything was going fine. And then I come into uh, puberty and, um, you know, I just, just started looking toward the idea of partying. And I was raised in Connecticut, uh, born in New Jersey, raised in Connecticut and uh, on the uh, New York border. And at the time, drinking age in Connecticut was 21 and it was 18 in New York. And that's a very significant factor because believe it or not, at 16, we were going to bars in New York. I, I have uh, nieces and nephews and I just could not imagine any one of them at 16 being in a bar. So um, 14, you know, I, I started smoking just to be cool and had my first drink when I was 14. And it wasn't until I was 16 that I really started probably to cross the line. And, uh, and I just started getting messed up then, you know, I, 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 you know, cause I'm smoking, I'm not as active and I'm heavy. And uh, give you an idea where I came from. I, I, I thought having a beer belly would be, would be a, a cool thing. I had this guy that I idolized that had a beer belly. And uh, I never had a beer belly. I always had a beer ass and beer legs. So it, it just didn't work out that way for me. And, uh, and when I had a head full of, of alcohol, whatever it was, 
uh, I didn't care how I looked at, you know, let me, let me act in a way that uh, I just ignored that. So uh, my drinking started to progress. Somehow I got out of high school and somehow I got into college and out of college. I love that line that uh, Chris Rock talked about. I got my learn on and uh, I was strict. I, I, I just, I just assumed that I was going to, I just, I don't know why I, I arrogantly thought this, that I would just be a vice president of something. I remember being in high school and uh, everyone was talking, three, a few of us were talking about careers and this one guy goes, well, I'm going to be a political cartoonist. And I had no idea what that was. Well, what are you going to do, Walter? And I just said, oh, I'm vice president of IBM. You know, I had no plan of how I'd ever do that if I really wanted to do that. And I, I guess the difference between a normie and where I was headed was this guy is a, when I, I, won't, I won't say his name or, or what paper, but he's a political, he's a syndicated political columnist. So, but it's all good. Um, you know, thank God I, I, I recovered and was able to move on. So I got, I, I got out of uh, college and all of a sudden I realized what, what an education was about. And I, I started with a, a great company and um, in ground ops, I was in, I've been in the freight business for, for most of my work life and uh, went from ground ops into sales, but the drinking was progressing and then about 27, 28 years of age, the drinking stopped working and all of a sudden now enter cocaine. And I know I'm talking like this in AA meeting. I promise you, I've got a food story here. Um, and, you know, I was probably my weight uh, when I would go up to like 230 pounds, I'm six one. That would really bother me. But if I was like 218, 215, you know, I was like, okay, that's okay. But that, that is, is too big for me. And um, so, you know, I started doing cocaine and that gave me a few, few more years of drinking. And my brother had moved out here to the West Coast and he had an idea that I wasn't, uh, wasn't doing real well. And he brought me out West and I did a, uh, a, a outpatient rehab for three weeks here in, in Los Angeles. And I remember being, I, you know, I was being interviewed by someone uh, about how the program went. And this was someone from Australia because they were considering doing the same thing in Australia. And he mentioned, he said, you know, you're, you're, you're 218 pounds, you're kind of heavy. And that, I was like surprised when he said that, you know, I said, wow, I didn't think that. And so I was really out of touch with, 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 you know, how I was taking care of myself. And I was really had crossed that line, didn't even know what the line was yet. Got back to Connecticut and within six months, I went from 218 pounds to about 270 pounds, uh, smoking three packs of Marlboro a day and all that. And I came out here to Los Angeles um, permanently. I pulled a geographic and I got hired. I, I had an old contact who hired me, hadn't seen me in a few years, knew I was a really good salesperson. And he never would have hired me if he knew the condition I was in. And he just planted me here in an operation out here in Los Angeles. And the guy who I worked for was in shock when he saw me, what a character I was. And I had to do some quick scrambling to, to hold on to my gig and, and you know start my life over. And that was about 19 months before I, I got sober. So it's very easy for me to diet uh, when I'm on, uh, when I'm smoking cigarettes. I think I was eating like 600 calories and I, I shot down to 185, started doing pretty well selling. This guy trained me the whole bit. It just, he was a real, he was a, a messenger of God that he just somehow bonded with me and worked with me. And, and we have a friendship. We just spoke for the first time in 20 years uh, the other day. It's kind of kind of at an interesting point in my life, this whole pandemic and just how things are coming together. So um, I got my ego back and it was very difficult to drink and drive here in Los Angeles. 
Uh, and the only thing, the only thing that ever left me without a 12 step program uh, was cocaine. I just, it just went away. That wasn't the case with my other addictions. Anyway, so I got into a relationship and I lost that because of my drinking. That was it. I was sick of losing. And so I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, November 23rd, 1986, and I've never had a drink since. And uh, I'm about 190 pounds in, in AA and smoking and this and that. And I had a very good sponsor, this guy, a real God and step man. And he said, you know, get off those cigarettes. And I knew, uh oh, this is going to really get into the area of food now. And um, so I said, well, if I lose another 10 pounds or if I gain all that negotiating. And finally, I went into uh, Nicotine Anonymous and uh, I just surrendered. I said, if I gain a thousand pounds, I'm quitting smoking. I have to breathe. And uh, I didn't gain a thousand pounds, but I sure didn't know I would gain this kind of weight. And I went over 300 pounds and mountain biking didn't help me with that. Uh, hiking didn't help me with that. The gym didn't help me with that. Dieting, Nutrisystems, Weight Watchers, all these things I tried to do to manage. I, I don't even think I had heard of OA yet. And when my AA sponsor, the guy, you know, just a great man. I loved him. When he said to me, Walter, just quit pigging out. A light went on. I said, you know, I, I don't know. He has an answer for me here. And I could never have imagined talking like this in front of women uh, about my issues with food and my size and all that stuff. So I went to Darby Street in um, Reseda to the men's stag. And that became uh, my tribe. And I, and I just started, that was back in the day where some of the guys were coming to meeting with teddy bears, that inner child work. And, uh, but I heard amazing things and I wasn't the only one that struggled. And, and I learned about the food inventory, uh, you know, trigger foods. I didn't have the vocabulary yet of, of uh, the big book and the doctor's opinion. It's taken me a long time. And I hope I have time to cover this. It's taken me a long time to really be able to use the big book as applied to my food addiction. And I got that now. I just couldn't do it. And I wasn't really connecting with the OA literature. Anyway, I'm going to these meetings and uh, I got down to 208 pounds. I said, wow. And that's a, that's a big step in the right direction from, from 300 pounds. My ego came back. I was coming into meetings, getting my meeting on, going out, selling. I was going to basketball games, entertaining. And, um, you know, inevitably I, I relapsed, you know, and I went back up to 260 pounds. I was uh, in a job situation that really wasn't uh, probably because of my acting out. It just wasn't working out real well. So, you know, uh, and I should back up here, you know, the, 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 you know, I don't want to completely just discount to what I learned in AA. Two things happened in AA with the steps. Step four, First one was, was releasing my deep, dark secret. After that, it was all downhill. And I found out that my deep, dark secret wasn't, wasn't the worst thing in the world. Okay, a mistake I made as a very young boy. Uh, and then the second thing was the, the next fifth, well, the fourth and then the fifth step was I was jealous. I was jealous of higher functioning men. And I didn't have that vocabulary. I was just writing down resentments. You know, they're not doing this. They're judging me, they're this, that, and the other thing. And my sponsor said, what do you see there? And like a little oracle, I saw the word, I'm jealous. You know, so now I know how the value of releasing secrets and I know I have a part. I'm not necessarily a victim here anymore. So, you know, I'd learned some good things in AA. It's true the credits aren't all transferable, but it was good to have that orientation of the steps. I know that they work. Uh, but 
I failed to enlarge my spiritual condition. I wasn't taking the, the, my food situation as seriously as I needed to. And uh, I relapsed. I left that job, found another job, and AAOA became my primary program. I'm still involved in AA, still am today. I'm involved in H&I, but OA is my primary program. I was blessed with an abstinence that was just outstanding. Uh, I, I went down to 170, 168 pounds, and I had not planned to do that. I was just eating really well, taking care of myself. Um, I was going to three men's retreats a year, sponsoring. I had a sponsor who would email my food in. And in the year 2000, was it? Yeah, about 2000, 2001, I got into yoga. I crawled into yoga because of back stuff. And I, only because of abstinence, you know, I was fit enough to do it. And I, I found that I could still practice yoga. I mean, that I could get my body back in shape, even with, with low back stuff. And I really took to it like a duck to water. I had to find the right chiropractor uh, to really get me out of the woods. And that happened in about 2009, 2010, right as I got into, into a teacher training. And uh, I started teaching yoga in 2010, the, the last part of it, 2011. And it really, st I, I started teaching at a studio and a gym. Uh, and this is about the time I started to leave, uh, light a candle. And same thing, I wasn't plugged in. Uh, I was doing really well in the teaching world and I went from teaching yoga into Pilates, mat, uh, really making some good part-time money, enjoying it. Uh, but I just didn't take it as seriously. And I thought I could handle my food stuff through phone meetings, uh, a, you know, meetings. There, I wasn't able, because I changed my work world and I went straight commission. I wasn't, I wasn't getting down to the West side like I had. And, you know, I paid the price. I never, and, and I've had, so relapse has been part of my story. I've never, ever gone back to my top weight, but in, 13 and 14, it was slipping and sliding. So I started my abstinence over in February of 2015. And I'm going to tell you, it's not worth it to lose your abstinence. Uh, if it's part of your journey, it's part of your journey, but it's not necessarily going to be an easy thing to get back. And um, uh, I, you know, I did, I had to humble myself again and very involved with the phone meetings, very, very grateful for what's happened here in the Zoom meetings. Uh, you know, that's been a blessing. I, I fought that at first. Um, and, and so I just, I just got busy again and I started, uh, emailing my food in phone meetings, going to meetings up here. And I just got back on track, you know, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And the big, the big thing that really helped me is a, a, a group called a vision for you, very big book oriented. And this guy Harlan, who was on one of these retreats that uh, we did up at the Boy Scout camp, we did uh, twice a year, Rancho Alegre. He just hammered home the doctor's opinion and I wasn't getting that. And finally, when I could switch and refer to my foods as my alcoholic foods, I have no business around sugar. I just cannot eat sugar. It just leads to a binge. Same thing with pizza. And as the big book says, rarely have we seen a, a, a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. So now how my program looks today is without fail, I listen to special editions once a week, not live. I get the recording. They're up to, they're just up too early. Um, so, and I do a lot of phone meetings. I'm on the hundred pounders just about every day. There's a Tuesday meeting up here and I was getting to the two thirty meeting in um, studio city. I have a sponsor. I email my food. I call my food in every day and I email the reality of my food. I went back to a reunion 
in August of 2015 back east with friends. I never would have done this. I wasn't at the weight I wanted to be, but I was definitely climbing out of, out of the relapse I had been in and only because of the program, you know, and these were friends. It would have been terrible really if I had missed this. These are people that I've known were all adults now that I knew from when I was kindergarten, uh, you, you know, grade school, things like that. It was just wonderful. I might not ever see some of these people again. And, and I just really credit OA and of course sobriety that I could shoot up, suit up and show up. And probably the last time I was around those people, I would always be drunk or, or you know, just acting out because of how I felt about myself. And I showed up in a totally different way. Um, and that was wonderful. And so here I am, I'm doing this teaching thing and I had never planned to teach uh, as part of my livelihood. And I never would have done this if it wasn't for my abstinence. And so yoga led to mat Pilates, led to cycle, uh, really led to a, 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 you know, and then because of what I learned here in 12-step programs to keep showing up, suiting up and showing up, they asked me to get these, this, I don't want to name the, it's a, it's a nationwide uh, functioning gym and they're opening up um, studios within the gym. And the studio is like, it's a reformer which is an expensive training plus TRX and, and bar. And they've trained me to do that. And I, you know, up until the pandemic, that was like 25, 26 classes a week. And I was like, how does, how in the heck in 1985, I was a 269 and a half pound drunk. And here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm 66 and I'm teaching. I'm held in high regard in this gym. Uh, the yoga studio I was with that was nationwide uh, it doesn't look like they're going to open again because of the pandemic. Thank God the gym is open again. Uh, it's just, it's just so good for my self-esteem because, you know, I've been in the, I've been in the logistics business for a long time. There's nothing wrong with that, but I really burnt out on that. And this has really given me a second lease on life. So my teaching looks like it's picking up again. Um, I've been straight commission. And one thing my sponsor told me a long time ago, uh, in program, as long as I was in the meetings, as long as I was showing up, my needs would always been be met. And that's the one thing I've done perfectly. I've never left any of my programs. Uh, what I have to deal with is my resistance sometimes to change or just assuming I know something. And what I learned from this last setback, what, that there's always more to go for. You know, I can't assume that I know something. And here, and, and this is something that I have to admit, Overeaters Anonymous has taught me the big book far better than I ever learned in Alcoholics Anonymous. That book is divinely inspired and it really works for me. And why it took so long for me to get that, I don't know. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. I have it now. And I'm very, okay, very Walter, grateful. Walter, that's 6 p.m. Okay. So I'm a miracle of mental health. I have a sponsor I sponsor. You know, I go to a lot of Zoom meetings. When the first Zoom hit, I was resistant to that. And I got into Zoom about June or July. And I, you know, I was furloughed. So I have a lot of time on my hands at two or three meetings a day. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I, I, I just, the, the, you know, I am a food addict. My food addiction is as serious as my alcoholism ever was. And it took me a long time to really, I, I always, in some ways, I mean, I was serious about it, but I think I'm as serious now as I was 
with the alcohol. I knew, I knew I'd gotten to a place with alcohol, drink or die with me. If I play with the food, it's just, I, I can't, I can't, I, I, I just can't outthink it. I can't, it's not just a bad habit. It's, I, I'm, I'm a doctor's opinion food addict. And I'm glad I know that now. So, okay, I've got about nine minutes here. I'm willing to open this up to questions or if anyone has a question. Walter, Walter, I have a question. This is Leonard. Hey, Leonard, how you doing? <laughs> great, great to see you. Um, I uh, Very, very honest and wonderful pitch. I, I really have to thank you. Um, I want to ask you how your program and your evolution program has helped your relationships with people outside of OA. Uh, you know, that's a timely question. I would say that I am a lot less judgmental. I'm not out of the woods with that yet. I'm still easy to a resentment. When I went to that reunion uh, back east, uh, I realized that, you know, I was so, you know, I was always felt like a victim, you know, part of my disease being very self-centered. And I realized every one of us, it just seems to be the price of admission into life. We all have stuff. We all have stuff and it's just best to really stay out of people's business and leave, you know what I mean? So I see someone acting oddly, uh, you know, from my point of view, I, I have no business judging. I don't know why someone's doing that. And it's better that I extend kind thoughts than critical thoughts. It just, it makes my way a lot easier. My, my way of living easier. Thank Great, you, Larry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next is um, Lucy. Hi, Lucy, compulsive overeater. Walter, thank you so much. Um, can I ask what you do and what you read and, and how you work your program and how you work your conscious contact with your higher power on a daily basis? Yes. Uh, well, I read the big book. One thing that's been very helpful, a recent discipline that I've taken on is I'm making it a point to read a big book story every day, you know, and it's just amazing. There it is. The one thing, well, a common theme is the merry-go-round. It reminds me of the nonsense I did with, um, with the food, thinking that I could, you know, this time it'll be different and it never is. So I stay in the literature and my sponsor said this a long time ago in AA, but it's really true in any of the 12 step programs, I believe. If we're not reading the literature, he said, he said, I can always tell when you guys aren't reading, you start talking funny. And I never forgot that. And there's something about being plugged into the, to the big book that's very important. Um, my conscious contact, I start every day on my knees. There's four meditation books I read. I ask God to help me to put the food down, help me with my food addiction, uh, you know, help me to function well in my thoughts, words, and deeds. Uh, and then I am, uh, probably five years ago, I returned to the faith of my childhood, uh, very committed, very committed with, with, with a lot of what's, you know, what they, what they suggest you do there. So uh, there's no question that there is a, uh, there's something uh, greater than me. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know what that is, uh, but I, I, I can assure you I'm a miracle of mental health. That's for sure. Thank you. Thank you, Walter. And Deanna, you're next. Deanna, compulsive overeater. Thanks, Walter. Um, you kind of answered it a little bit at the tail end of Lucy's question, but how did you come up with your concept of a higher power and how did that evolve over the course of your recovery, especially in the times where you had relapses and setbacks? 
Yeah, that's a good question because sometimes, you know, uh, thank you for the question. Sometimes, especially in the relapse, I think about that. Even my alcoholism and the pain, I'm like, where was God? But uh, I'm my own invention. I'm very, very willful, you know, and uh, I, there, were, there, were, there were warning signs along the way. I remember in college uh, seeing a guidance counselor and I took some tests and he said, you know, you ever consider being a, a lawyer? And I said, oh, and I could never do that. He said, well, you have a low self-esteem. And I said, oh, that'll take care of itself. And all I wanted to do is drink. I just wanted to get down to the keg house and have a good time. So the rope was offered many, many, many times throughout my life. And I just, you know, finally had to hit my bottom. But when I jumped up for that rope, which wasn't hard to do, I mean, he I believe the higher power transported me out of a very bad situation where I was in Connecticut, a city that I was back. I just, it was not, I don't know if I could have gotten sober back there. Took me to LA and everything is, I've always had a roof over my head. Uh, you know, I'm stayed sober now. I'm sober in 34 and a half years. Uh, and I have, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't have the perfect uh, release from food like I do alcohol, but I'm a far cry from 300 pounds. And I, you know, and how, how I, and, and how, I mean, I, I never, I, in, if you ever said to me, hey, Walter, you know, when, when you're 32, you said, you're going to be a fitness instructor you know, when you're 66, I'd go, uh, no, I mean, that's impossible. And yet it is possible. So through these, these, these experiences that I just, I really can't take credit for it, for it all. You know, I just can't. And I, I, I certainly had no idea how things were going to unfold. I just all of a sudden started practicing yoga. And then next thing I know, here I am. And it just, it's just really, it's been a very good thing for me to do, to teach, to just the way I can connect to people and help other people with their bodies. Because I also come from a lot of pain from my low back and stuff. I, that's a whole other story I could get into. Also, I don't know if, uh, if any of you have noticed this white flag. I, uh, anytime I pitch, I usually try to remember to bring this. And uh, uh, this is a very important symbol to me. And I first saw this at an AA men's stag in downtown, a little white flag in a nondescript soup can. And I was told that icons like this go to places in the subconscious that words won't. So little things like that help me as well. Thank you, Walter. Can we hear from Manya? Hi, I'm Manya, compulsive overeater. And you may have addressed this. I had to step away for a minute, but um, in regards to abstinence and getting the freedom around the food, what was the process for you and, and about how long did it take? Well, the process, what was very important for me was to do a food inventory. And I had to identify three columns, triggers, gray area, and green light food. So triggers is right out of the doctor's opinion in the big book, right out of the doctor's opinion. I just cannot go. There are certain foods I cannot eat like a gentleman. I could sit in front of you and have a little cup of ice cream. Good night, good night, see you later, whatever. Just follow me. I'm going to 7-Eleven before I start driving up the 405. It's just, that's just what's going to happen. Gray area would be something like Subway. Yeah, I can go in there sometimes and order something appropriate. Other times, not so. I've never binged on broccoli, uh, baked chicken, you know, the clean foods. Uh, even identifying that, I still need a higher power to help me with my food. I pray before I eat. And, you know, the biggest thing for me was anytime that I have 
when I slipped in 13 and 14, uh, it, um, I did put weight back on, but it wasn't like I was eating every day. I'd get 10 days, then go back 20 days. You know, it was a real struggle, but I never have gone back to 300 pounds and I could do that. You know, I could do that. What I did was I would, I would just assume that I could get by with a certain amount of work. And I, it, this just really has to be primary for me. I'm a food addict, just like alcohol. I just, I'm, it's a very serious addiction for me. And I think I've really have finally gotten that and read the big book. I, I the read, if you can, it's not everyone's literature and I get it, it is, it isn't, the, but, but there is, when you consider that book was written by drunks, it was not just Bill, it was influenced by uh, religion and, and medicine, uh, a psychiatrist and a doctor. How did that, and they didn't all sit down together and, you know, in a, in a workshop at UCLA. This all came, you know, through, through, through the way this deity, this higher power works. And it's a very powerful message. It is the blueprint, I think, for most of the 12 step programs. I mean, these other programs get their books, but it's all come from the big book and the steps. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Walter. Okay, so we're all.